Popcorn, popcorn, puppy dogs. Hello, everyone. This is the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm Sean Harwell. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks. I'm joined again today by mm, interim vice president of co-hosting, Brian Crane. Brian, say hello. How are you? Hello. Hello. It's, it's good to be here. How are you? I'm good. What do you think Craig is doing right now? I think Craig is probably exhausted watching TV right now yeah. and thinking thinking about bed in the next hour or so. I was hoping you'd come up with something a little more <laughs> exciting. <laughs> oh, I thought you wanted I thought you wanted realism. Oh, okay. No, I mean I know wow. that's what he's doing. I'm just like let's oh, okay. sell it to the people. He's, he, he's on a rooftop bar somewhere <laughs> with double fist and martinis. Now we're talking and ig- ignoring the texts that are coming in. Fast and Furious on his phone. Yeah, about the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Where are you? You got to come back. You should listen to the guy who's on there right now. It's amazing. <laughs> Amazingly terrible. <laughs> he hasn't said anything about that yet, so hopefully... Um... I think that'll be the first 10 minutes of the next podcast that he comes back on, I think. Be like, well, let's talk about what happened the last four episodes. <laughs> And it'll just be, you know, some group therapy, I think, for for you guys and your listeners. So okay. um, that'll be fun. I'll look forward to that myself. I enjoy okay. that. Well, I'll have you on speed dial just in case I need to, to bring you into that. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. Let's see here. First, I have to mention, if people want to come say hello, go to neverheardpodcast.com. You got all your links to the social media sites and ways to email us and make suggestions. We'd love to have them. Also, you can find all our episodes there. You can find trailers, posters, and more. Of course, we are on all, well, I shouldn't say all, most podcast platforms, I assume. There's probably one out there that we're not on that I've never even heard of, but that's okay. You can go to Google, search for us, you'll find us, and you should be able to listen right then and there in the browser. And we appreciate it when you do. Yeah, you go to Spotify, too. It's pretty great. Yeah, we're on Spotify. You can throw us in a loop there. It's amazing. We talked about Michael Mann's The Keep last time. We did two episodes on that. We teed up the movie we're going to talk about today, which is Franklin from 2008. First and foremost, it's not been that long since we recorded last, but have you watched anything else since then of note? No, not not really. Did you watch anything before then? Any time in previously in your life before then? Uh, that, I, I have about? a... F- I have a faint memory of Jurassic Park. Huh. I think that came out in uh, 1987 or something. No, I saw Avengers Endgame. Yeah, I did. I did see that one. Okay. I, I heard. I heard. Uh, I think Craig uh, mentioned that on a on a one of the earlier podcasts. Did he? I totally tuned I, that out. I don't know. I didn't know that he had <laughs> seen that one yet. <laughs> maybe Sorry, I'm, maybe I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking of Infinity War. I I don't know, but I, I did I did see it and and that was good. It, I I also saw the end of uh, Game of Thrones. Give us a hot take on that. Game of Thrones. You I mean, what haven't you heard about the ending of of that show? I tend to agree with kind of the consensus, which is that the beats, the moments that sort of comprise the last few episodes were not in and of themselves bad, but were rushed. Mm-hmm and could certainly have been earned with more brilliantly produced episodes. The fact that they didn't, that they kind of had to get everything in six six uh, episodes, I think kind of really undercut what all of the previous seasons had sort of been building up to and what they had built and, and how close they were, Benioff and Weiss, to having created 
one of those enduring legendary television shows. And I think this ending will have uh, certainly dampened that by quite a bit, we'll say. I had a very similar conversation earlier today, in fact, with one Damian Leahy, who was a guest of the uh-huh. show not too yes. long ago, and about the damage to the goodwill of fans that um, not sticking the landing or overextending your welcome in a TV series mm-hmm. can do. And so here's what I want to ask you now. Yeah. Let's let's come up with a scale. Tyrion to the mountain. <laughs> How excited are you for any spinoff of Game of Thrones? Honestly, right now I'm at, I'm at a Tyrion level. Okay, yeah, as in like yeah, low, yeah. like low to the ground. Yeah, very, okay. yeah, very low. A little, a little, a little Lion Man level of of excitement. Okay, um, yeah, me too. I gotta say, me too. I'm not. Yeah, I wonder if time will heal those wounds. Perhaps I'm like, oh yeah, let's let's see some more Game of Thrones world building. Right. It could be just as as easy as like showing me a crazy high production value trailer, and I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll see that. You know what I mean? Easily I mean, I don't, don't want to, I don't want to get too pure here. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I would watch it, but in terms of like right now, what I'm envisioning, to me, I think HBO and is sort of kind of overselling how much interest there is in the universe. I feel like the Westeros universe was just the place to house these characters. Mm-hmm. And anything beyond that is just kind of, I don't know, fishing for them, try, trying to create a universe because that seems to be what studios uh, want to do and, and know how to do. But it was interesting to, to counterpoint that ending with the ending of uh, Avengers Endgame, which was by comparison so satisfying in its way. Like it tied up things. You didn't even know they were loose ends, but then they go and tie them up. And then all these characters have very emotionally satisfying conclusions. And it was, and it just also happened to be a great movie. So um, I, I don't know what was all going through Benioff and uh, David Benioff and, and Weiss's uh, heads uh, mm-hmm. there at the end in terms of like why we have to do six episodes. Right, we just want to be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine that. Yeah, me too. Big time. That's a massive production and just a massive tax on your personal life. Oh, completely. You know, for the eight seasons that that was, I can only imagine. Right, right. So I get that. But um, I, I wonder if they'd had to do all over again, if they would. Now, well, one last thing I'll say about that is that I think that if George R. R. Martin had finished all of his books and then HBO had started the show, I would still give it to Beanie Off and Weiss. Yeah. Because I think they just did uh, an amazing oh, job. Oh, yeah. I think the good outweighs the bad for sure. Oh, completely. And, and I just, I, th- I think where they had a falling off was when they ran out of source material, which was not really their fault. Okay. Will he, will he ever finish the entire series in a novelized form? I wouldn't put a lot of money on him finishing it, mm-hmm. but I would, I would put a little money on it to make it interesting. I, I, I think that he will have Winds of Winter done before the next president takes office. Okay. I'm I'm hoping that's 2021 <laughs> yeah. uh, as opposed to 2025. Sure, but I I think it's soon, and I th- I think he's got it mostly done. the The other book, sadly, uh, which is a promise of spring, he has said that he has not started on that yet. So okay. that that's that's going to be a while away. Well, we uh, will have many episodes between now and then to think oh, about certainly. it. Oh, <laughs> certainly. Yeah, <laughs> very many. I watched one movie since the last time we talked. I finished the movie Network, 1976, Sidney Lumet. Ah, I'd seen it before. Yeah. It's been years since that point, but uh, wow, it it, uh, it holds up incredibly well and is still wow. quite pertinent today. I mean, especially today, I think, in, in some ways when news yeah. is under attack. 
Yeah. You wonder about television ratings when it's the 24-7 news channels versus this was just a, a nightly news program. Great script, great performances. It won a ton of Oscars. You know, I don't think Lumet is in any way underrated. Yeah. But boy, when you look at his resume as a whole. Oh, yeah. I mean, like. It's incredible. Kind of feels like he should be like in top five all time in a way. I mean, you could make that. Oh, uh, yeah. That case. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon, yeah. Dog Day Afternoon, uh, 12. 12 Angry Men, Serpico. Angry Men for Freak's sake. I know. The verdict. I mean, just Ooh, on and on, right? Yeah. Yeah, again and again. Even even until close to his, his death, he was still putting out really great stuff. Yeah, he did a movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Marissa Tomei that I'm blanking on the, the title right now, but that was pretty good too. I mean, I thought his Jurassic World uh, Part 2 was just, I mean, it was crazy. It was so dramatic and really good. I really thought he was dead by that point. <laughs> what do you say we talk about? Franklin. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. I'm excited. In a way, I wanted tonight's assassination to be unique, pure. It felt like the last pieces of the jigsaw were falling into place. But don't get me wrong. This wasn't fate. For every soul of this deluded population who blinked in awe at fate's karmic clockwork, they neglect to see the wear and tear beneath the surface. The teeth that grind into the cogs. The damage that fate causes so many in its selfish journey towards just one favorable consequence. The individual had simply run out of luck and I was here to collect. Everybody hopefully listened to the tee up at this point. If you didn't, go back and check this one out because uh, yeah, you know, some people behind the camera that I wasn't familiar with, but certainly had some, some good stuff on their resume. It is directed by Gerald McMorrow, who also wrote the script. You got Eva Green, Ryan Phillippe, Sam Riley, Bernard Hill, James Faulkner, Stephen Walters, Art Malik, Susanna York, Richard Coyle, who looked very familiar to me. The logline is this, according to the Internet Movie Database. <laughs> When's the last time you think anybody said that out loud, like in its full form? Yeah, it's probably been a while. I think they're pretty close to just Imdaba, you know. <laughs> well, now that I broke that record. A portrait of the broken lives of four people, a vigilante detective, a worried parent, an awkward man looking for love, and a suicidal artist as they all struggle to cope in their religiously dystopian city. Yeah. Uh, I think that's patently untrue there, Crane. That is not, a, that is not an yeah. accurate synopsis, those last uh, four words there. No, it certainly isn't. I suggested this thing merely based on the poster that I had seen, which, again, features nice. Ryan Phillippe behind a mask that is somewhere in between Rorschach's match and The Watchmen, Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas, and maybe a couple other things that I can't think of right now. <laughs> right. I like most of the people in that cast and, and other things. Yeah. It is streaming on Amazon Prime right now. You watched it. I did. What did you think of Franklin, sir? It was an interesting watch for me. Um, I kind of veered back and forth between like, holy cow, this looks really good. And, and the, the scenes that take place in the dystopian religious world, the, the set design and production design are just so great. And then mm -hmm. kind of cutting into the real world, it's a little deflating. I'm veering back and forth between this is really good and this is like, oh man, they just didn't hit it there. At the end, it was just, it, it, it did come together in a way. Yeah. And I'm, just, and I'm just like, okay, 
all right, that's fine. But at the end, I felt like there was too much that sort of needed to have been depicted in some way that was not, if that makes sense. Interesting. Do you want to elaborate yeah. on that a little? For instance, the, the overall premise is is that um, a character, uh, Ryan uh, Philippe, Philippe? <laughs> I can never say his name. <laughs> Philippe. <laughs> Philippe, thank you. Yes, Philippe. He's been to war yep. and he comes back and he's really broken and, he, and he's created in his head this world that he sort of resides in permanently. The Meanwhile City is what it's called. Yes, Meanwhile City is, is that city. And, and so the things that are happening in the real world, he's projecting through the lens of what he's experiencing in Meanwhile City. But we don't really get a sense of why Meanwhile City? Why, why this in this town? Why that? Why does he have a mask? Why, why is religion so dominant there? Um, why are there so many factions, et cetera? Yeah. And it's like, it's very interesting, but we never get any sense of like, well, why, why is that being refracted through the lens of his sort of mental illness? So I, I feel like something akin to, just to go far afield, Shakespeare in Love, where <laughs> that's that is really far afield that i was not expecting yeah, yeah. that at all okay yeah go ahead. no 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 bear with me I, I, i'm coming to something yeah so ben affleck right yeah the way that um that movie essentially breadcrumbs different things throughout that refer or allude to shakespeare plays and we're like ah that oh okay yeah that's 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 where he got macbeth from mm -hmm. or whatever yeah mcmorrow the director does some of that when you see the guy, the, the, I don't know, he's like the head of the intelligence service for, you know, Meanwhile City. Yes. Giving uh, Ryan Philippi a job. And then you see him again in the real world um, in something, in, you know, behind a desk talking to uh, Ryan Philippi's dad, mm -hmm. played by King Theoden. Bernard Hill. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so you're, you're seeing those kind of like bits of, of alignment and symmetry and all that. And that's cool. But the overarching thing of like, why is he having these particular visions is never answered. And just the movie just ends. And I'm just like, that was one of the big things I was kind of looking for there. Yeah. That's interesting too, because we got to point out and we'll get into this obviously more, but we don't learn about Ryan Philippi's like mental illness until 20 minutes left of the movie or maybe yeah, i mean i'd say that's right yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things i was kind of fascinated by this thing is that you do have these sort of four separate stories i definitely clocked a point and wrote it down where we were 40 minutes in the movie and i'm like i have no i don't even have an educated guess about what is connecting these four stories <laughs> and right. that's a really long time to go and in some ways like i'm i'm left by this movie thinking I'm kind of amazed it got made. That's like not to say anything against the quality of it. It's just because it's so peculiar and specific mm -hmm. to what it's trying to do. You know, you do have this very chopped up narrative style, I guess. And we don't get yeah. that bit of connection. So it requires a lot of patience from the viewer. I'm perfectly oh, wow. happy to sit here and, and be patient. I was never really bored by this thing at all. And yeah. like you said, some of it looks amazing. But yeah. it's also one of these movies where you've got this masked vigilante guy, right? In this imaginary right. world that we don't know is imaginary until the end. And it does. It looks really, really cool. You know, it, it's hard not know. to think of the Wachowskis or reference to Dark City as something that I was thinking right. of. Alex Proyas. I don't know. I don't want to say Terry Gilliam exactly, but you can find. But yeah, there's, there's, there's elements of that. Definitely. Sure. I don't, I don't think that's invalid. Yeah. 
but it's it's still not a big movie. No. Like it's not going to compete with the Watchmen. No. And then you've got these other elements that are really just kind of small personal drama stuff. And right. so it's like I don't know, it's just one of those movies like it, it's sort of in no man's land. Like it's not yeah. it's not like dramatic enough or small enough to really be like an indie drama. No, it's it's very uh, schizophrenic yeah. in this way because I like you say, it's like on, on one hand it wants to be this big budget thing where it's like world building mm-hmm. and there's there's like martial arts and yeah and it's kind of successful at that right yeah absolutely and then and then this other thing is like this um i don't know made for tv bbc movie yeah. about fair enough yeah ptsd or something yeah and so and then you just jam these two together and voila and it's like yeah that just doesn't quite quite gel and i actually thought of you um speaking of having patience oh crap yeah <laughs> No, I was just, you thought of me. I was scared. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah I, I thought of you because I was like, when, when you're, when we're watching, when I'm watching this movie, I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I, I honestly don't, the movie is not giving me any real reason to stick around. It's not giving me enough information to enjoy what's happening. And I know that, that, that's something that, that you uh, kind of reference from time to time about like, don't, hold on to that pertinent information mm-hmm. so long get it get get it out there and i thought this was a this was a prime example of of holding on to pertinent information far too long and exhausting the patience of the viewer i think you're probably right in that i will say like it didn't completely irritate me that they were doing okay. that and i don't know why yeah because you're absolutely right like i do complain about that and i crossed my mind i was like <laughs> Again, yeah. 40 minutes in, I, I don't have a really good educated guess as to what's connecting these four stories as presented. And it feels like you could just say what it is, right? Like, yeah. As a writer, yeah. you could just put that info out there and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, now. Exactly. Uh, what I think McMorrow is going for is the element of surprise and, and twist in, in those reveals of it all. Oh, sure. They're not entirely unsuccessful, I don't think. And yet it's still like, yeah, I'm kind of like with you and, and still sort of wondering what the ultimate like thematic takeaway of this thing is, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, like what, what really connects these stories beyond just this individual, I guess. Right. So with that in mind, let's set up these four stories a little bit better. Okay. I, I do think the movie opens with Philippi in masked vigilante mode, right? So if you go look yeah. at that poster or if you check the episode artwork, I'm sure it appears in it. You can see what we're talking about here. He's kind of in a attic, it looks like, in a very high building overlooking this very bleak, dystopian, black blackened city mm-hmm. there's a lot of voiceover with this character which you kind of have to do because there is no movable mouth on this mask <laughs> right that's so, that's so true i thought the voiceover was was so uh off-putting and so uh glaring but yeah i guess i guess he can't really have too many conversations well we'll with that mask. talk a little bit about that because there's times where he takes his mask off where i i had a question about the mask in general but i want to get to that in a second okay but the the initial voiceover i wrote down he says Somebody once said that religion was deemed by the commoners as true, by the wise as false, and by the rulers as useful. The only thing I believe is that my name is Jonathan Priest, and tonight I'm going to kill a man. And I was of two thoughts here. One, you start a movie with somebody saying, I'm going to kill a man. Okay, I'm intrigued. Like, that's, you got me. Yeah. 
on the other hand, it's a bold move to start this movie with talking about religion, you know, because <laughs> yeah, well, you've got in essence what appears to be a superhero source, right? Right. I mean, by all accounts, he's wearing a mask and he's yeah. talking about getting justice of somehow. Um, oh yeah, he's very much like Batman throughout that part, you know, where he's like, I, I got to find information and I'll, you know, people are scared of him and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. and. I was like, well, damn, they're just going straight for the jugular here. So I'm a religion. Like, I, I don't know that I would, like in this movie, I don't know, you know, maybe in like, uh, you know, Scorsese's movie about uh, the Tibetan, you know, monks or whatever. Yeah. The Dalai yeah, Lama. Serious, yeah. yeah. Okay. Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. You talk about religion from the word go. Uh, here, I was just surprised. <laughs> I was like, okay, I didn't really know. I didn't really remember that even from the synopsis. Yeah. But again, visually, it's very cool. I thought the score in the meanwhile city element like segments was pretty cool like it yeah. reminded me like there's sort of and i don't know if it's because of eva green but i got like a tim burtony kind of vibe a little bit here oh, and there okay. i mean and it's not yeah. i can't even really pinpoint to a movie other than like edward scissorhands like a guy in a tower looking out oh sure and then okay so from there you're sort of thrust into the real world Sam Riley is meeting his friend, played by, where was he? Richard Coyle, who I remember now was in the show Coupling, which is like the UK version of Friends, and that's all I'll say about right. that completely sidetracked. So, good show, good show. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, we find out that he's just broken off. Well, was it him or was it his fiance? He was supposed to get married. It ain't happening. And it, yeah, it was hard to get a sense of that. Let, let me ask you a quick question before you move on. Uh, what was your thought when they first made the transition to the 2008 you know, UK world? I don't know that I, I even thought that much about it other than, I, you know, I, I'm kind of giving them the, the, the blanket of, okay, well, pretty soon these two worlds are going to collide. Like something's going to happen uh, okay. here, you know, or, or okay, yeah. like walk me through this. Yeah. I'm here. I'll All go right. with you. But I don't know. What about you? Were okay. you like immediately just like, Ugh. Well, no, I had a dumb guy reaction to it. Okay. I was just like, um, uh, I don't think this is the same place that yeah. you were just in. Like, I thought they were trying to like oh, make, okay. make like, London pass for that. Gotcha. But for a, only for like, I would say by five, six seconds, yeah. I was just like, oh, wait a second. Okay, no. But yeah, this is something completely different. Okay, I don't know what's happening now. Yeah. Actually, I, I, th I think I, I, I thought that it was like, okay, this guy is insane. To go from that without without introducing portals and stuff, mm -hmm. it's like oh, it's just a it's a figment. But anyway, uh, go go ahead with with well, the important stuff. you know, and the fact that Philippi is behind a mask, other than the voice, you don't really have any reason to think that that's not Sam Riley underneath that mask because you haven't been shown that yet. You know, if you're just going by what's on screen, right? Uh, there's mm -hmm. also an appearance by Bernard Hill in that first moment. He's coming out of a church, and I did wonder. I was like, why are we? following him for a second he doesn't say a word but anyway so then mm -hmm. we got sam riley and then we soon after meet eva green and she is in a therapy session with her mother who yep. mother played by Susanna york and i'm trying to think of the, the information we get from that session we never see the actual therapist which was a weird choice i thought you just see his hands yeah you do i think they just talked about like oh we can't talk about dear daddy or something like that and just like oh yeah is, where did he leave or you know you, you it's a hint of something happened but we don't know what i mean honestly it sounds like kind of a divorce situation that's what but, I thought. Yeah. yeah, it felt like the yeah. father had left and maybe the most important information is that Eva has attempted suicide. 
the mother mm-hmm. says something about she's done everything she can to support Eva's so-called career. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Eva's accusing her mother of doing everything she can to keep her away from her father. So I think the father's still alive, or that's the implication. Yeah. There's that. And then there's a segment where Bernard Hill is on a phone, and he's hoping for a visit from whoever he's talking to, which I'm still not positive who that was. I I think it was a woman, but I don't know. Like, again, like it was... Yeah, it's such a small sliver with his character that it doesn't yeah, would, make that big of an impression. I don't know. Yeah, I said, yeah, I said David can do a day visit or something like that. That was one oh, of the things. okay, I didn't. So, yeah, so it was, you got the impression already that, you know, he was a caretaker for someone. I guess I kind of, you kind of assume a son given his age and, and all that. He was getting better to the point where he can he can go out and do day visits. Okay. Well, good. Good on you for picking up on that. Yeah. <laughs> from that phone so that, call, because yeah, I was not. I was like, yeah. I I started take. I took some notes at the beginning and then stopped completely. So you're, we're taking advantage of one of my eight notes. Excellent. On this. Excellent. So this is- okay. <laughs> well, it, you know, we're thrust back into the meanwhile city, and we're there for a bit longer now. And what we find out there is basically this masked vigilante, Jonathan Priest is living in a world where religion rules and everyone has to declare a denomination. And as such, pretty much anything goes faith-related. As long as you have a group and you follow the proper forms, you can have your own religion. Mm -hmm. There's reference to a group of uh, Seventh-day manicurists, which I did think (laughs) was kind of funny. Uh, There's a group that appears to be uh, having their entire religion based upon washing machine instructions, which was a nice little thing there. Yeah. But most importantly, there's a religious group called Duplex Ride. Oh, yeah. Which has a leader known as the individual. And it's a nasty little group, we're told, that has taken in a young girl who is missing. And Jonathan Priest is determined to find him, find this girl before the clerics, who are sort of like the police in this police state, this mm-hmm. religious state, uh, find him. He goes to a bar. There's another character that we meet named Worm Snake. <laughs> Worm snakes, excuse me, plural, played by Stephen Walters in a very jittery yeah. performance. Yeah, too much coffee in, for this movie, yeah, I think. <laughs> Decaf, at least, bro. At least two cups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worm snakes kind of sells him out, and our mass vigilante is captured by the clerics and mm-hmm. soon finds himself in front of this guy named Tarrant, played by Art Malik, who, once again, connecting the keep to this, has some very weird contact lenses. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, he and Scott yeah. Glenn both need to see uh, ophthalmologist <laughs> stat. Yeah, they got some problems, absolutely. Those irises or something, something wrong. Yeah, I guess, actually, I'm sorry, I, this is after he spent, I think, four years in jail, right? Yeah, Which, that, that was a little... <sighs> go ahead. Like, wait, what? Four years? Like, um, I don't. I didn't understand. Like, he was in this sort of, like, stand-up prison box. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, he's been held for a little while. He looks as good going out of it as he did going into it. So you're like, okay, he, he just, he had a night in there. And then they say four years. I'm like, what is the point of having him be in here for four yeah, years? Yeah, I, I <laughs> did not pick up on that at all. No, and I don't, I don't think it's ever particularly like uh, explained. I don't know if, if in the end it's some allusion to the time from when he, he first 
you know, had his disconnect from reality. And then the four years later, he's he'll still in there or what, but you know, they, they don't ever establish that. So otherwise it's just this weird thing that, that they decide he's in there for four years. Yeah. There may be some coded version that makes sense as far as that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, kind of what it, what it meant to me was like, Oh, there's Ryan Phillippe. He doesn't have his mm-hmm. mask on and he has a beard now. And most importantly, the meeting with this guy who's like sort of, I guess, a high ranking cleric, basically, right. says that the individual has come back to Meanwhile City and they want him to basically find this guy, but for the purposes of the clerics. Right. Which, again, like, I, I just don't know, like, what the, the significance or the benefit of all that, of going through all those hoops, I guess, is because it's like, well, that's what he was trying to do before you guys <laughs> caught him, right? Right. So how, yeah, exactly. how is this any different? Th- that's true. It does return him to that default because it's like, yeah. and even after he has this meeting, it's not like he's got the clerics on his side because then he's like, you know, or you're going to, you're going to put something in me and you'll talk about that in a minute, yeah, but, I guess, but then, yeah. that, but then, but, but then he like, you know, beats them up and goes. So, so then he, he even returns to, he's looking for the individual and the clerics are after him and you're like, okay, why did we have any of that? You know what I mean? Other, other than to introduce these characters. Yeah. I mean, and not to, just to extenuate the fact, yes. Like the next thing you know, he's being taken to a room where there's a very freaky lady who, uh, doing her best, uh, yeah. sort of Tilda Swinton, I think. And uh, uh, I would agree. That's a good call. Absolutely. She's Very Tilda Swinton. going to implant something in him, which I guess is maybe a tracking device of sorts. Yeah. He fights his way out of that room before that happens. <laughs> and when that happened, I was just like, you know what? I would have just had it put in there. I, I like that. She made it sound okay. Like, yeah, you know, like you are, are you, are you, you know, you're not scared of a little tracker. I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not. I thought he would have <laughs> sat in the chair. Uh, and instead, no, he's like, no way am I getting a tracker. Yeah. And you're like, that's, that's the thing that breaks you. That's just a tracker. I don't understand. But yeah, so he was out of there. Right. But once again, it's like, well, like, how does that change the stakes? <laughs> Not at all. Right. Yeah. He's gone and like, he's broken rank with the clerics, but he's still going after to find this girl, right. For a client that we right. never meet and never really spoken to. Right. It's just a little muddy i guess uh for lack of a better mm-hmm. yeah. word here with with that and that is the big setup for that character mm-hmm. that said again like there's some really cool visual stuff i like the look of the clerics like the little like the minions of yeah. them you know they've got those sort of high, high uh puritan pilgrim hats and sunglasses right yeah absolutely they're kind of like a like puritan agent smith exactly you know? yes very, very cool. <laughs> it's a Puritan version of the Matrix, which never, yeah. I never would have crossed my mind to even consider. So kudos to them. No, for that. me either. Yeah, good for them. Back in the real world, Sam Riley, who plays the character Milo, post breaking off his wedding, he spots the back of a woman with red hair, and there's there's clearly some interest there. And then that happens a couple times, and we're setting that up. Then we're also cutting then to Eva Green, who plays the character Amelia. We find out very early on that she lives in an apartment where on the door for the buzzer, the name Franklin is written. Mm. Should we go ahead and talk about that? Because I'm still not sure what is the significance of that name. Yeah, I, I, it was it was never stated. I was I was thinking back before we recorded like, oh, wait, I, I can't go into this thing not knowing what Franklin was all about. <laughs> And it's like, wait, I don't know what it, it was just the name on the elevator and that he put in there because he moved up to the top floor 
And it's not it's not his name. His name in the world is 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 priest. Yeah. And his name in the real world is what David something, right? It is David, and I don't believe it's it's Franklin. It's uh, David Esser. Yeah. And I don't think Amelia's last name is Franklin either. No. So, so uh, I I don't know where he got that name. And again, it's like there's there's that kind of backstory that. You know, we have these questions; they're never answered. And the rule of any story is that you you never leave any any stone unturned. Any questions you raise in the story, you also answer. And so this this movie, you know, wasn't able to accomplish that in, in all senses. And this is another example, a smaller one, but I mean, it's a title. Well, I have to say, like, I don't mind, you know, like David Lynch. Obviously, you're going to watch one of his movies and walk away with a lot of questions, but also a lot of interpretations. And yes, like that's the thing. It's like you you have to kind of lead the hand a little bit, and you know if you're going to right. make a suggestive movie in that sense, yeah, right. I feel like all of it kind of has to be that way. And here, yeah, I agree. No, there, there's a lot of loose ends that are tied up, but that's like you true. say, he doesn't leave them all. No, he doesn't leave them all untied. There are some really and and some really well done. I think sure tie-ups that, that we'll get to. But, but this uh, is but, your title. And if you want to call a movie Franklin and never mention Franklin in the movie, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but if it's in the movie, I kind of want to know why. Like, what is it? Yeah, I'm still yeah. a little clueless on this. Movie. But anyway, inside that apartment, yeah. Amelia mm-hmm. is at work. I don't know. You Why don't you describe what it is that she does when she has some free time? Like, how she's spending her... Well, it's not even free time. She's in, in school, but what what is she doing there, Brian? So she is an artist, and I, I she's... Well, we'll call her a multimedia artist. Fair enough, yeah. And um, she's doing some video projects where she is essentially recording herself attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. And not really attempt... I mean, uh, there are attempts, yeah. uh, but, but she's calling the uh the ems right before she she starts recording she's not intending to die she's not intending to die but you get the sense that if she did oh oh well maybe that'll make my art project even better right um so so she does this she gets the video they revive her she comes back and and so she's building this very gothic kind of art project but that's that's her life that's that's what she's doing that's what that's what her passion is is a suicide artist as as was alluded to in the uh the summary from uh book. yeah but that's actually not enough for this movie because <laughs> they sort of confuse the matter by having her also have video of sam riley sitting on a bench and then another man and it's not until mm. much much later that you find yeah. out from her college professor that she was working on a project following strangers. <laughs> it's it's kind of kind of different kinds of projects. It really is, and it's also, yeah. Again, it's just like it feels to me like one of these things that's born out of someone making a note that hey, you got to connect these stories some somehow, some way before forty minutes in the movie, right? Oh yeah. And yeah, so yeah. it's like, oh okay, well, like Eva Green's been watching Sam Riley, and surely that'll lead to something here. And right. uh, I'm just not sure that it does in the context of the movie. Yeah, a lot of those kind of the moments just kind of went right over my head because it's just like. I don't know enough about what's happening to find that important. So I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm watching and I'm looking for other things. And then they kind of show me this. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'm not interested in it. Right. And, and yet he's like, no, it's very important as you'll see later. 
And then later on, you're like, oh, I remember something vaguely yeah. about that. But is it, so but it's, is it's, it that yeah. important? Yeah, like that's things like when it's explained to you. <laughs> right. Like I, I really yeah. think, you know, the suicide stuff is dramatic and they get some good visuals out of it. But at the same time, yeah, like, like what if she was just following Sam Riley? Like to me, in a way, that's more interesting, knowing that by the end, those two are going to meet. Right. Like there's more juice there than if she's got the secret that like she's been videotaping this guy or you could use that like s somehow let so that true. come into play again. Yeah, I, that, that, that could have been much, much uh, very interesting. I think. Yeah, it's, they, it's they gone like instead route. of having two things, just have one, like have one and follow that through. And, and uh, I don't know, might have been kind of right. cool, but that's it. That's not what we have yeah. here. And yeah. uh, that's OK. Now, <laughs> let's play out Sam Riley's story a little bit here because he sees this woman with red hair again in the street and he goes following after her and she goes into a building and he wanders downstairs into a room full of nothing but men playing dominoes. They don't look to be very friendly men, these men. And no, uh, they no. tell him that she's gone she went out the back door. That's pretty much that. I had just forgotten that scene, and now I'm thinking back. I'm like, what? What was that all about? Yeah, which we may have to come back to here when we reveal <laughs> in a minute that. Yeah. You know, there's there's an illusion made earlier in the movie about Sam's mother. He says something about her. She's still watching the fairies, as if she's loony. Right. 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 The big sort of turning point with Sam Riley is that he eventually finds this woman at a school that he's been looking for, this red-haired woman. Yeah. We've had a couple flashbacks to him and a young girl when they were both children, a red-haired girl. Obviously, mm -hmm. this is the same woman. And there she is in the flesh, Sally, red hair. And who is she played by, Crane, in this movie? Uh, one Ava Green. Yes. Actually. Uh, we got to play all this out and see how that makes sense, too. <laughs> he sees her at a school has a conversation with her. They go for a walk. And they talk about it's been 20 plus years maybe since they've seen each other. Yeah. He he wanted to find her. He has been looking for her. He would love to get a drink with her and he's not taking no for an answer. And she says, okay, meet me at the restaurant on Friday. There's a gentleman teacher, I guess, at the playground of the school who comes over and asks if everything's okay. <laughs> everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, everything's okay. Uh, fast forward a little <laughs> bit back to the mom. When he goes to see his mother, he mentions that he's running to Sally again, and she gets out a photo album and asks him to look at it, and he looks in it, and he says, uh, what? We find out that Sally is not in those pictures, but she was there in his mind because she is an imaginary friend, essentially, who... Right. Popped up when uh, was it his father died or they got yeah I think his yeah his father died I think and so yeah that that was when he sort of invented her and as a figment of his imagination yes and the mom says she's been there when you needed her and it seems like she's here again because of the stress you've gone through with the uh, the dissolution of your engagement he's really shaken by this. Now, Crane, I got to ask you, why does that have to be played by Eva Green? Why does this? Uh, <laughs> I'm still. Yeah, like, so I watched that. So as soon as Eva Green shows up again in this other guys, I'm like, okay, what is happening here? Is, is, is this, is she just doing like some goofy, like I play two roles in this movie. The, the, the idea that she was a figment of his imagination didn't occur to me, partly because that, that isn't like a real thing that happens. 
you know, to, to sane people. And, and, you know, like it's, it's, it's just like, oh, well, he's really? got this little quirk where, yeah, Not it's even like a Facebook, little quirk. You can't find somebody from 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's, it's, it's nuts. I, I, I do want to say um, that I thought, no, no, not much. Uh, Ava Green's performance here I thought was very interesting yeah, because like she, you know, it was like she was sort of um, almost like content free. Mm -hmm. Like she had she had like no personality. She was like the perfect embodiment of like what is a, I don't know, just like a vessel for like what he wanted the male, her, yeah. what he wanted her to mm -hmm. be, right? So she's just smiling and she's listening and, you know, she has something to say here and there, but she's mostly keeping her own counsel. I mean, it, it's it, it's not really pleasant or it's not very um, uh, flattering to men that 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 this would be the the uh, the person that they would, you know, en envisage. I think she's well, but I think both versions that she portrays in this movie are probably some uh, male fantasies here. and there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. But um, but I, I thought I thought that was very a nuanced sort of performance and she just sort of executed it uh, brilliantly. But I, I did think that the, the sort of uh, device of having her be kind of a sixth sensey sort of like uh, imaginary friend from way back who's also grown up. I was like, eh, this this is this is more counting towards the negative than the positive as as this movie sort of wears on. But you know, again, I went with it. I was just like, okay, where is this taking? Well, me? did you ever think about because at this point we don't know that the Meanwhile City is a figment of Ryan Phillippe's character's imagination. So right. I was, I found myself wondering, okay, wait a second. Are we talking about like multiple uh, universes oh, dumb, dumb, oh, or, right, or something right. here? I mean. Yeah. I only I, like I only made it through like half an hour of Cloud Atlas. Maybe I need to revisit that and give it another chance. But <laughs> it was a struggle yeah. for me, and so okay. I, I did. I was like, okay, wait a second. Is this like one of? Are we getting into one of these kind of situations here? And right, not really. Right. No, not that's, really at all. But that's 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 a good a good place to 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 go at it because yeah, I mean they. Well, yeah, they they had sort of set up for that is a potential scenario. So mm -hmm. I, I hadn't occurred to me, but that's that's totally valid. Yeah. Yeah. So we also are introduced to the worm snake character in the real world. He plays a character named Bill who works in the hospital in the kitchen. <coughs> mm -hmm. And this is kind of where Bernard Hill's story actually starts to get some real footing. Up to this point, it's kind of just been little bits and pieces and we know he's looking for someone named David. It is finally with this character in the kitchen that we find out that, yeah, he's seen David. Yeah, this is when we start to tie it in with stuff we've seen in, in uh, Meanwhile City. Yes. But yeah, but what he tells Ryan Phillippe's father, who we know now, Bernard Hill, is that, yep. yeah, David showed up at his place, punched him in the nose, was talking crazy stuff, and gave him an address. And the address says something about Franklin. And also the punching in the nose is what we had seen happen in the Meanwhile City, right? So, right, I mean, I, right. I really think it was at that point where I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's what Yeah, that's where, it, that's where it clicks. Yeah. Because I think he also, we see a priest, uh, Ryan Phillippe's mm -hmm. character, give uh, worm snakes um, an address and say, you know, tell the individual that I'll be there. Yeah. And then I'll, you know, and it says, let him know that. And it says, now I, all I had to do is wait. And that sort of starts, starts to, starts to click. So some of the scenarios with, you know, portals or alternate dimensions or whatever, right. those start to kind of go away and we realize, okay, this, this is an invented universe. But were you clear that he was the Franklin address? I wasn't clear that that wasn't Eva Green's place. 
Amelia's place. And so I'm like, well, what, what does this have to do with Amelia, right? Right. And to be quite honest, I'm still not sure what it has to do with Amelia. <laughs> I mean, it kind of feels like happenstance. But anyway, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not even sure what what I thought. I I don't. I don't want to give myself too too much credit, thinking that like, oh yeah, I knew exactly what was going on. You know, because because I, I I don't I don't recall precisely, but I did get the sense like because just of that mirroring, and why is he going to give that up that address that he was told to give to the individual? Mm-hmm. You know, why would he give that to you know anybody else? But we we didn't really necessarily see the address though, right? Well, there I wrote down it had something to do with Franklin. So whether it was on the piece of paper or uh, not, okay. um, I, I think so. Okay, so then yeah, yeah, because that Franklin would connect with that that building that we saw. That's right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that's so anyway, we have another scene with Amelia and her mother where she interrupts a dinner party and asks her mom to come into like the study. You know, the conversation that plays out there, I, I didn't. I think these were good performances. You know, the the nuts and bolts of it is that. The father had not been treating the Amelia well. I mean, it, yeah. I, I, was there I got, sexual abuse implied? That was the implication I gathered. Okay, because of of, of what the mother said that she did when like, when she found out. I mean, you don't do that if if you know he's raising his voice from time to time. And the mom basically explains that look, you know, your father went on a business trip, and the minute his foot left the door, I packed you up and we left. And, you know, yeah. she had hoped that they would both forget about it and move on. You know, Amelia hugs her, picks up the video camera. She's recorded the whole conversation and says she has a project right. to finish. And yeah. here, I liked this scene on its own. Yeah, same. Yeah. But I do think this is one of those examples, like, why did it take this for that to come out? Like, these two people, right. like, why didn't that come out in therapy? The mom saying, look, I'm sorry. Like, I know this happened. I had hoped we'd both forget about it. I mean, she's clearly an adult, Amelia, you know. Uh, like, at oh, some yeah. point, just, like, if that was the actual situation, why wouldn't you tell your daughter that, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, there, there was nothing that happened between those this two scenes between mother and daughter that, that would have, like, you know, open the floodgates for scene two to happen. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really good point. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, it's like, what is, what is the blocker? So you have to create a blocker and then remove it. And then you have scene two, but there was no blocker, there's nothing to remove. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yeah, you go back to that first therapy session and you're just like, this could just as easily have come out then. Why not? And there's no real answer. Right. To that, I and I got another one of those scenes, Brian, which is again, a scene I really like, <laughs> which is when yeah. Ryan Phillippe's father, Bernard Hill goes to, see uh, a group of gentlemen who I think are tied to the military in some capacity. I'm, I'm still a little confused, but we realize very oh, quickly yeah. it's the same actor that played the character Tarrant in The Meanwhile City. Mm-hmm. And yep. what he tells David's father is that David has escaped an institution and in the process has killed an orderly. He may still have mm-hmm. his service weapon. He's con- you know considered very armed and dangerous. We learn that David's sister was killed two weeks prior to him coming home from Iraq. Was she, she was killed in an accident, or I, I don't remember. I, I don't. I don't think they're ever very explicit. Right, but, but they say that David, his reaction was to blame one person in particular, and that person was God. And they like seem to think, unless I'm like, <laughs> unless I missed all of this, that David yeah. might have linked the father here to God because the father is a caretaker of a church. He's a very religious man. And there's no telling what David might do to him if he finds him. Right. 
I really liked that scene, but I was also like, well, why didn't the dead go to these guys first in looking for the son? Right. If he is still sort of considered an active soldier in any capacity, like it feels like, yeah, go if your kid's a soldier and is going missing, like, yeah, go to the military or... If he's been in an institution, oh, yeah. especially, like, why aren't we seeing the scene at the institution where they can say, yeah, he left and, and he killed somebody? Right. I, w- I would think if he had killed somebody, then you would you would have not a scene with his old military guys or whatever, but with in-uniform policemen yeah. or, or something like that. So that, that, that was a little disjointed to me. Or at least the institute, like the people that run the institution, the nurse ratchet or, of this, <laughs> you know, oh. where's she? Oh, yeah, completely. It's like, yeah, so like, why does he start his, his journey his journey to find David in, the, in a way like you would a missing person. Mm-hmm. Unless he's like, well, I know what he did and I know I don't want to help the people who want to capture him and put him in jail. I want, I want to see him on his own. But that's clearly not his his sort of thought process because, you know, he's going in to see Tarrant, you know. Or yeah, the guy he doesn't who, know any who, about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just it's sort of like an odd way to go about doing this and maybe a little just convenient to the plot as opposed to, you know, mirroring how a real life sort of scenario would play out. I think so. I mean, but the real sort of like emotional impact of all this is that now David's father is, is more desperate and he goes in a night of heavy rain to the address that he has, the Franklin address that, that Wormsnake gave him. And he rings the buzzer and he gets Amelia. And he's like, David, I know you're in there, David. And she's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. But he says, I will be in the restaurant across the street waiting for you. You come out when you're ready, basically. You know, I, I'm not going to give up something to that effect. Right. It's not long after that, then we realize that David Ryan Phillippe is indeed an apartment upstairs above Amelia. He comes down, knocks on her door, says that he's just moved in upstairs. She's like, yeah, there was a guy looking for you. Uh, He just rang my buzzer instead, and he's across the street at the restaurant. And then Sam Riley turns up and goes to the restaurant Mm -hmm. because this is where he's supposed to meet Sally, even though his mom has broken the news to him that Sally is a figment of his imagination. He still wants to go see her, which like there's something kind of heartbreaking about that if it were its own movie. Like, you know, <laughs> um, like yeah. that, I could see yeah. that being like there's a, a like a Judd Apatow version of that story that would be oh, com- really yeah, sweet completely. and funny, I think. But then in this movie, it just, yeah, it's just more sad. Yeah, it's know. definitely sad. And uh, so he's in the restaurant. David comes back to Amelia's room after being in the upstairs attic, essentially looking out the same window that we thought he was looking out at the Meanwhile City. I guess this Uh, has Mm -hmm. been his hiding place. And he's got a sniper Mm -hmm. rifle, but he doesn't have a good view of the restaurant. So he kicks in Amelia's door and goes to the window there. He knocks her to the floor. There's a bit of a fight. You know, she's basically cowering behind a stool, listening to his delusions at the window. Right. Meanwhile, you're cutting back to the restaurant. Sam is having his conversation with the imaginary Sally. Bernard Hill is glancing over and realizing that there's a gentleman sitting at a table by himself <laughs> talking to someone. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just so crazy. Yeah. It's just like, you know, he is, he is having a full on like adult rom-com conversation yeah. with yeah. someone who is not there. And in all other respects, he is a sane person. Yeah. But in, in, in this moment, because of what, what, uh, what mcmorrow has got to do, he is, he is just full out talking to somebody. And I don't he's not, he's not even like whispering or like pretending. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like, like kind of doing like a ventriloquist thing. Like I was thinking like, how would I handle this? Like knowing other people are looking at me, but I'm like, I have to, I have to actually vocalize in order to interact with this figment yeah. of my imagination, who I, who I know as a figment of my imagination. Right. I would at least, like, you know, keep my mouth mostly closed. My hand would be in front and- of my face for sure. Yeah. <laughs> at least. But he's just like, he's like leaning in and like getting his butt out of the chair. Almost. Yeah. And, you're, and like, you know, Bernard Hill, he's like looking over like, what the hell is going on with this? Oh, guy? he kisses her. And, yeah. And I mean, in which that. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what, what is really happening? That was the first oh question gosh, that, yeah. that I, I wanted that I had. I because like, he's standing up kissing her. <laughs> Where I was like, if they show that shot of him just like air kissing nothing, that's going to lose it. You're, you're, the movie's yeah. lost. Oh, completely. The movie is dead <laughs> at that very moment. But that is a shot that could have been shot. Could have happened. Of could have happened. It absolutely could yeah. have. So uh, that was all a, like a fun, a crazy tightrope to watch. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but meanwhile, like back in the apartment, you know, Philippi is perched, ready to fire. Amelia makes a break for the door. He goes after her, stops her, throws her back to the ground. And in that process, she's able to kind of crawl over to the gas radiator, cranks the gas, has got a lighter, and is threatening to blow the entire place up. And uh, I don't remember exactly where in the sequence of his of events it happens, but David does fire into the restaurant, but happens to hit Sam Riley as he yeah, is, I think, stepping to follow after Sally and uh, <laughs> happened to walk right in front of David's father. He sort of realizes he's been shot. The window broke, obviously, in the restaurant. People are in a panic. David's father yep. stands up, looks up at the apartment, takes off his glasses, presumably ready to accept his fate, if that's what David has for him. Mm-hmm. Back in the apartment, I'm trying to remember, uh, David, I guess has a moment of realization yeah I guess. and yeah, i think i think it's when he sees his dad just standing, standing there, there not 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 being aggressive not being like like the individual you're just standing there and and i and i think that makes that connection back to the real world and then and then he just kind of all the fight goes out of him he says you need to leave or i think it's time yeah. to leave she makes a break for the door she gets a last look at her apartment and yeah. they do a little flash to what she sees is the Meanwhile City version of this oh, yeah, space. That, yeah. David lights yeah. the lighter, and the room explodes. Well, I guess actually he might have been he might might have been priest at that moment with his mask on. I can't remember. Oh yeah, uh, the room explodes. You know the the windows blow out. Amelia's okay in the hallway, but she's like thrust backwards. We find out that Sam Riley is actually okay. Like he got shot in the arm. He's helped yeah. outside by Bernard. All the patrons come out. The police show up, the ambulance. But meanwhile, in that alleyway there, in the rain, in the night, Sam mm-hmm. sees Eva Green as Amelia and realizes that, oh, she looks a lot like Sally, I guess. And she looks at right. him. And there's some sort of connection there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's not reciprocated by any stretch, right. you know, for the the way that because you know Sam's got all this built up around Sally. You know, here's her doppelganger in real life. Of course, he's smitten. Yeah. But her, you know, I guess he was just the guy that she was following around. Well, that's true. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I forgot about that. You know, but 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 I don't know that that she was like, oh, I, he's just so dreamy. I can't stop following this guy. It was just like you know part of this art project, but. So maybe when she slowly approaches him, looking at him, she's like, 
are you that guy I was following all around? What the hell are you doing here? As opposed to him where he's just like, yeah, you know, I have to remind people that art project where she's following him, there is like maybe 15 seconds of information <laughs> to that. Story yeah, exactly. To make that connection. But you're right. I think that is probably why she would have known him uh, or recognized yeah. him. She asks, or she says, you're hurt. And uh, he nods. Yeah. We crane up away from the scene and, our city backdrop turns to the meanwhile city and we are out. Yes. I wanted I to ask you, Pastor Crane, and there, I mean, there's so much stuff yeah. we, we didn't even get to. There's like yeah. an intermediary character, speaking of pastors, named Pastor Bone, who I still don't know quite what his place in this universe is. You oh. remember he's the guy that's mopping yeah, was, the floor and then right, yeah, he's making yeah, he a, kept popping yeah, up. a formation out of the sugar cubes that was supposed to be. I don't know what that meant. Anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, he did do that, didn't he? That was, yeah, it was just weird. The, the movie yeah. seems to be saying something about religion and faith. And so I'm going to ask you, what is, the, what is the thematic takeaway on that subject matter from Franklin? Brian? Oh, uh, wow. That's, um, um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, um, I have no idea. I, I, it's just like they're. It's like does does are they trying to say that uh, religion is bad? I mean, because in the write up and the IMDb description, I think they they call him an atheist. Oh yeah, yeah. It's sort of weird. He doesn't seem to care much about any of that, but he never says like you know I don't believe in anything because I'm an atheist. Well, yeah, he's like the like, only oh, no. person in the Meanwhile City who doesn't have a religious affiliate, so that's why he's one right. basically. Right, but but to me, like like in this world, that doesn't necessarily equate to atheist. Just means like you're not religious. But any, but anyway, so it's just like, is his way bad and his dad's way, in, in essence, which kind of saved both of their lives, is the right way? But his dad isn't that pious. I mean, you don't see his dad being this like extremely pious character. Like there's a scene where no, he's in a chapel don't. at the hospital, but uh, it's right. not. Did he have a scene early on where he was coming out of a church? Yeah, like and the very first scene with Sam up. Riley, they sort of interconnect those scenes that way. Like he's coming out of the church, Sam's walking past it. I, I, I felt like like the whole question of religion was not fumbled so much, but just sort of subsumed by the all the other stuff, like the kismet, the happenstance yeah. that sort of brings everyone together at the end, and and that's that's all you're kind of left with, you know. And I thought that you know pulling together. You know Ava Green and and Sam Riley in that way. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool because like, I didn't I didn't necessarily see all that coming. No. I thought that was that was that was a good reveal, and you could tell that they had put a lot of work in to make that reveal work the way it did. Yeah. But in terms of of like the larger questions that the movies did seem so preoccupied with for you know the first I don't know hour and ten minutes, you know, just kind of flitter away, and then you're just like you know now we got it. They're all set pieces, and we got to or chess pieces, we got to move them onto the board in the right place so that the, the ending can happen in the right way. And then it's like you're left with nothing. It's tough because, yeah. again, it just in some ways it just feels like they're spinning too many plates, you know? Yeah. Oh, completely. And structure aside, uh, it really just like it's, is this about religion? Is it about PTSD? Because right. like you've got this person that's invented a world. You've got this person that's invented a character. Okay, hit me, do the hat trick. What what has Amelia invented exactly? I'm not sure like that she's invented anything. Like I don't know, you know? Right. And so right, it's not right. like a complete satisfied through line, I guess, like that I can really make out, you know? And especially 
with the father character. Like, I, I don't know that he's invented anything. <laughs> like, I yeah. So there's just a lot going on, I guess. Um, and in some ways, each of those four stories could have been their own separate, smaller movie. And I don't know, like, mm-hmm. I do wonder if there's a chronological version of this or like, even if you just told it in like chapters, I guess, you know, like this is right. Sam Riley's section. And this is Eva Green's section. And this is Ryan Phillippe's section. And then the, the last thing we see is that they all sort of like coalesce. Um, oh, yeah. That, that, that could be an interesting structure. Yeah. yeah that, I don't that know. There's so much back and forth that I do. I mean, even just like what you were talking about, just like coming out of it and, and being confused by it, whether we're in the exact same place or, or how does this connect to that? Like, I don't know. Like, I just right. don't know that it buys you enough cool factor even. Like, you know, it's not, this isn't Pulp yeah. Fiction where that just completely right. adds to the experience, breaking it up that way. Yeah. I would I'd say that like, I was kind of left with like, you know, a movie is just the sum of its parts, right? Each individual part can be in its own way, like really good. And I think this movie is like strewn with like really cool yeah, scenes for sure. and cool moments. And, and I mean, amazing cinematography. I mean, the guy is a, is a heavyweight for a reason. Yeah. He made this movie look amazing. Oh, there's so many. There's like that one shot where a priest is in the attic and like the lights just sort of swell. Oh, it yeah. looks so cool. I want to say like, before we get too far down the line, um, did you find the voiceover repetitive? Oh, completely. I, I mean, how many times did he talk about going to kill somebody? Like, well, go kill somebody then already. Like, <laughs> yeah, the narration was just so incessant. I mean, it, it wasn't voiceover; it was like narration, and it's like you don't see that happen in movies. I mean, you anytime you hear voiceover in a movie, with a few exceptions, you're usually in for a bad time because it means that they they weren't things. able some. Yeah, they're explaining things they weren't able to do cinematically. And so this is something they had to do in post to make it work or whatever. You know, Shawshank Redemption and Blade Runner are some some instances where where that that kind of the exception proves the rule. Do you think that's the case here, though, that this was all done in post? You know, that's 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 a good question. Because what else would would that character be doing when he, you know, it's not he's got his mask on. So he's not talking like would he just. I don't know. I, I felt like it was maybe in the script. Could be wrong. Maybe it was, but and actually, it probably was because I th- I feel like the the you know McMorrow maybe thought that voiceover isn't really like narratively the kiss of death that it really is, and so he's like, oh, this will be really cool, and it, and it just and just completely turned it up to eleven to the point where when we're in Meanwhile City, there's only voiceover. Yeah. And then there's a scene and then there's more voiceover. Anytime there's any dead air where you could sort of like, you know, exist in the space, you got Ryan Phillippe talking over it and, and it's it's claustrophobic and off-putting. I just, like you say, it was repetitive because, you know, how much can you say if you're talking that much in voiceover, you have to kind of start repeating yourself to kind of fill that time. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that at yeah, all. Yeah, well, in some ways, like I expected it to continue the way it began by his like condemnation of religion. And it, it really mm-hmm. doesn't. Like the, the voiceover later in the movie, it is this about, tonight I'm going to do this, and the time has finally come for me to do this. I mean, there's like, <laughs> like I said, like, okay, we get right. it. Go do it. Yeah, yeah you're going to go kill a man. Okay, we, we, we follow you. We heard you the first yeah, time. Yeah, and then last yeah. but not least, as far as all this character goes, what what is the point of that mask? Yeah, I don't. It seemed like everybody in in uh, Meanwhile City was wearing, or not everybody, but a lot of people. So like it was like a thing that you did, but I don't understand why they did and why he felt like he had to wear it all the time. I mean, worm snakes didn't wear a mask. It's hard to look at it and not think someone's hiding their identity. And when right. he, he's telling you from the word go that he's wanted in this world because 
he is the only one without a religious affiliation. He literally is wanted. You know, he's got to be hiding. Yeah. But then there's moments right. he just takes his mask off. And then after he gets four years in jail, why the hell put your <laughs> why put the mask back on? Like what do you need it for now? Like everybody knows who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. They 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 got yeah. you. You're you're done. They know who you are. Yeah. I, I do think it would have been nice to actually see the Meanwhile City version of the individual. We never see that character um, who is, you know, if that equates mm. to the father, then yeah, get Bernard Hill in there for that world too. Let's yeah. see him. Let's see how bad he, how bad he is in this guy's mind, you know? Do we get a glimpse of that in the restaurant when he's he's looking down at him through the scope and oh, it's like, like a little demon he, face kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah. like this demon face thing and he's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like opening his mouth like he's sort of like, you know, imagining eating something. That was too late for me there. I gotta say, like that, I, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool, but it was a little too late. Yeah. Anyway. Late. Okay. So I am of the impression that this movie at least to me, felt like we are seeing what the filmmaker intended or the best version of what he got, right? Yeah, yeah. The Keep felt clearly the opposite. It felt like yeah, it had been hacked to pieces and that there were things that were just clearly missing because of the circumstance. That said, you have, uh, let's go with a softball bat pointed at your head mm -hmm. and you have to pick yeah. one of these two movies to yeah. uh, recommend or watch again, which which one are you going with, Brian? Oh wow! I don't want to have to hit you in the head with the softball bat. Yeah, no, that's know. a tough one. That's that's funny because we've been playing like either or with uh, with the family, yeah, uh, you know, and and so so this is that. Yes, it is. I I guess I would say, oh man, that's a tough one. I was like, <laughs> I almost did this. I was, uh, you know, I I guess I would say I would say the keep, and and that surprises me a little bit, and I could it could go almost either mm -hmm. way. I, I, I feel like Franklin for all its faults is a stronger movie in its way and that and that like you said it, it, it is it is a the manifestation of, of McMorrow's vision and nothing is left on the floor and keep is pretty hacked but it just in terms of like kind of a fun time capsule and seeing a quite talented noteworthy and important filmmaker early in his career I think it has some historic value Whereas I, th I think with, with Franklin, you know, it was, it was one guy's very kind of iconoclastic vision. It looked like it was, you know, a real task to get it up on screen. He did it. I'm sure he put his heart and soul yeah. in it. And, and that, that's kind of it. His vision is, is, is out there, which is, which is awesome. But I, I don't know necessarily that we're going to see a, a filmography the, that rivals Michael Mann. So I'll say, I'll say the keep, even though uh, for all its weaknesses of the two, I would recommend that. How, how about you? I'm going to go keep as well. And I think primarily because I don't have the feeling that the surprises in Franklin, it's not going to make for a very satisfying repeat view necessarily. I don't feel like it's one of the, and I could be wrong. Maybe you go back and watch and go, oh, okay, you piece this together. And like, this makes more sense now knowing right. what the end was. I don't know. I didn't get right. that impression. I would like to see this guy do something else. I hope he will. I think this was the only feature film he has uh, on filmography of memory serves. But yeah, that's that's right. With maybe a like a slightly less ambitious script, honestly. Like I feel like there's such a good visual eye there, seemingly. Yeah, give this guy a blacklist script, and suddenly you've yeah, got you got a hit. Be I really think. interesting because I mean he was able to get some great performances out of there within the world. There's a lot of consistency in terms of like, you know, the performances and everything. So there's a, there's a lot there. And, and, and you know, 
the vision of Meanwhile City is is incredible yeah, to me. Really I mean, cool. it's just like I I just thought that there's so much money in this, and 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 the effects of these giant like you know unlit churches sort of rising up mm-hmm. to the to the sky was so evocative and so interesting i wanted to stay in that world without the voiceover to the point where it was like i was always i mean i had like a, a like an emotional fall each time we were brought back to i guess 2008 yeah. I was just like, like, oh, we're going back, you know. <laughs> well, one person's committing suicide repeatedly, and another one is like, you know, in yeah. love with an imaginary friend. So it's not <laughs> right. It, it's a, it's a, it's like, unbelievably, it's a darker place than Meanwhile Somehow, City yeah. is the real world. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like I'm, I very much wanted to stay there. Anybody who's capable of sort of bringing that level of of vision and 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 world building, you know, to bear, I absolutely, I I I'd, I'd like to give that guy another chance with, like you say, a less ambitious script because I think that was the that was a problem with this. This movie wanted to be so many movies. Yeah. It really, at the end of the day, you can only be one. Now that you say it, I do wonder if he ever just like originally conceived of this as like, oh, I got this dystopian future idea, in the Meanwhile City, and this entire story, and yeah, easily you could just build a whole world around that, and it's like you know, I don't oh, know, yeah. maybe just or may- couldn't maybe, happen. Yeah, maybe it's like if I want to depict this the way I want to. I could only get half a yeah, movie. Exactly. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to build it out with with cheaper <laughs> cheaper location. Yeah. If you've seen it and you're listening to us fuming mad, like I said, we had it had some good <laughs> reviews, especially on IMDb from users. Uh, let us know what you oh, thought yeah. and and how we were wrong. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. Just you know, you can get a taste for it in in 20 minutes, 20 30 minutes, and uh, it is on Amazon Prime at the moment, if not elsewhere. Looked great, sounded good. There's some nice use of uh, surround sound there with uh, people moving around, voices here and there. Uh, and uh, I love the HD. Yeah, give it a peek. After, especially after the keep. Oh my god, yeah. Going from eight <laughs> track to Dolby Atmos. Yeah. Anyway, any last words, Mr. Crane, on your last, at least, uh, yes, for the moment, episode with us as yes. co-host. Thank yes. you again for doing this, by the way. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, um, I love your guys' podcast. I, I listen all the time, so it's it's a real treat for me to kind of come in and you know pretend to be part of the show for a little while. So yeah, uh, n- nothing else on uh, on Franklin. Yeah, that's it for me. Sorry, Franklin. All right, <laughs> we'll talk next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.